Gospel of Luke, starting in chapter 9. Jesus calls his 12 disciples together. He gives them power and authority. So he transfers his own power and authority to them so that they have power and authority over demons and to heal diseases. And he sends them out to proclaim. So what are they proclaiming? To proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, neither a staff, nor a bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not even have two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that city. And as for those who do not receive you, as you go out from that city, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So he's telling them to go out and depend on God and God alone. Not to... Not to prepare, you know, bring a bunch of money and and food and clothing so that they are ready for anything that might happen, but just to go out depending on God, trusting on God, to see what God puts in their path. Now that doesn't mean it's going to be easy, because we can see that it's implied here. Some of the people are not going to receive them. They're going to be probably quite rude and nasty to them. But he says, just shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So he said, you know, they're... They judge themselves in this. That's not your problem. Just move along. But for those who receive you, stay with them. You know, teach. Be a blessing to them. The blessing of the Lord is with you, that it will be with them as well. So verse 6 says, Departing, they began going throughout the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So what is the gospel? Well, what did Jesus tell them to preach? The kingdom of God. Ah, that's quite different than the gospel of salvation, which is the thing you most often hear preached in churches today. Salvation is absolutely 100% necessary as a first step towards the kingdom. But it is not the kingdom. And what did they go around proclaiming? The kingdom. God wants us to enter into his life through Jesus, not just to take on a religion that Jesus uh, gives us salvation. Now Luke informs us, which it'll be important later, that Herod, the Tetrarch, uh, had heard about all this. So he's He's, uh, you know, he's like a king or a, you know, he's a sub-king. He's a a governor of the area that he's in charge of. And he had had John killed, John the Baptist killed. And people were saying that John the Baptist had risen from the dead, and that's who Jesus was. Or that Elijah had appeared, and that's who Jesus was. And so Herod really wanted to know who this was, what's happening. And so he's just planting that seed for later because it's going to come important. And then all the apostles, you know, at this point they're more disciples, but he had sent them out on this mission. So in that way, they're sort of apostles already. Um, And of course, what we are in the Lord, we are, whether or not we see that fully yet or not. He knows it. Um, But that's that's the word Luke uses there. And then taking them with him, he withdrew by himself to a city called Bethsaida. And so... um, you know, he's, again, wanting some quiet time, but the the crowds know what this is, and they follow him. They, they can't get enough of him. So he begins speaking to them about the kingdom of God and curing those who had need of healing. And then his disciples, his 12 disciples, start telling him to send the crowd away because they don't have enough food and there's way too many people. And he says, you give them something to eat. And they say, we have no more than five loaves and two fishes, unless perhaps we go and buy food for all these people. For there were 5,000 men, and he said to each of his, he said to the disciples, Have them sit down and eat in groups of about 50 each. And so they did this, had them all sit down. 
He took the five loaves, the two fish, looked up to heaven and blessed them and broke them and kept giving them to disciples to set before the people. And they all ate and were satisfied. So he did the miracle of the five loaves and the two fishes. And they even had leftovers. Um, I'm kind of assuming everyone listening to this knows the story, but just in case, um, that's not nearly enough bread and fish to feed that many people. But he kept passing it out. It never, it never ended. I I told a story, I think during Matthew, I've I've heard of a few situations where this has happened for people. I've never seen this happen, but pretty cool. The food just never ran out and they actually had more left over than they started with, which was 12 baskets full. And so Jesus begins asking the people, or his disciples, who do the people say that I am? And they said, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, but others that one of the prophets of old has risen again. And he said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, the Christ of God, or the Messiah of God, or in, so Christ is Greek, Messiah is Hebrew, the English for those words is anointed one, so the anointed one of God, but he warned them, instructed them not to tell this to anyone, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. So he tells them quite clearly what's going to happen. They don't really understand it, but he, he does tell them before it happens what's going to happen to him. And he was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So he knew very clearly what was going to happen. And he's saying, If we want to follow him, we must take up our cross. See, he had just said that he was going to be rejected by the elders and chief priests and killed and raised up on the third day. And directly after that, he says, if we want to come after him, we must deny ourself or die to ourself, as it says elsewhere, take up our cross and follow him. So we must be willing to die to our old life. We're not literally, it's not likely that we're literally going to be put on a cross as Jesus and Peter were. However, we have to go through the cross of Jesus in order to enter into this kingdom life. We have to be willing to lay down our old life, the desires of our flesh, the circumstances that we think we want or deserve or whatever. We have to be, everything that our flesh, our history, the world says that we should have or might have or could have, we have to be willing to give it all up and follow him and trust that God is good and actually the future that God has for us is actually much better than what we would have created for ourselves if we had somehow been God of the universe and we had gotten everything we wanted Um, actually he loves us more than we love ourselves and the things that he has for us are much better than whatever we would create for ourselves we simply have to it, it will look different It won't be all the same things that we want for ourselves, but we have to be willing to give up the things we want and trust in him that if we give him our life, he has our best at heart. He will take care of us. Verse 24, he goes further. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. So this, you know, he's basically turning everything upside down. He's saying, if you try to grab hold of your life, it's going to slip out of your grasp. Even if you try to micromanage every detail of your life and your 
and you, you make a lot of money, so you're able to provide all the things you want, you're just going to get older and die, and you're going to see a lot of things fall apart, and they're not as good as you thought they were. He said, but if you're willing to lose your life for my sake, you will get a much better life. 25. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? So you may, you know, you be, may become a billionaire. You may have everything in this world at your fingertips. But if you didn't accomplish God's purpose for you in this life, at the end, you're just a, a dead man who got nothing. Any, you know, maybe you were even saved and you made it into heaven. But looking back, hardly you know, hardly any of you even made it to heaven because you spent all your life on worldly desires. And so you have the lowest rung in heaven for eternity versus giving up all of those glories for of this life and being willing to take whatever he gives us by truly giving our life to him. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I say to you truthfully, there are some of those standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. So Jesus has been proclaiming the coming of the kingdom. But it really didn't come. The kingdom was within Jesus, but it didn't become available to others until after he had died, risen again, and then sent the Holy Spirit on Shavuot, or Pentecost. When they were all in the room together praying and the Holy Spirit fell, that was really when the kingdom began. And we know from many things, we've talked about it all throughout the Old Testament, that the fullness of the kingdom is not here yet. We, that Scripture makes that very clear. Uh, there was a former reign, which was during this time of Jesus in the kind of the early church. And there's a latter reign coming, and then the, the complete fulfillment will come when Jesus returns. We still need to see, I mean, this latter rain has already begun, but we need to see more of it. And sorry, I'm kind of assuming you're following along and as the last few, I don't know, Joel Haggai talks about these things. And so we, we talked, we've been talking about these things over the last couple of months. But I say to you truthfully, there are some of those standing here who will not taste death until they sing the kingdom of God. And so that was actually most of these 12 disciples. Uh, the ele- the One of them, Judas, uh, betrayed him. He did not see it. He did taste death. And we don't know the other disciples. The, there's other disciples besides the 12 around. And so we don't know who all is listening here. It says he was praying alone. The disciples were with him. So it might just be the 12. It might be some more. We don't really know. Luke is very precise. He says, eight days later... Uh, He took Peter, John, and James up a mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face became different, and his clothing became white and gleaming. And behold, two men were talking with him, and they were Moses and Elijah, who, appearing in glory, were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So this is pretty cool. It gives us a little more information than we got in Matthew or Mark. Um, Moses and Elijah are personally telling Jesus a little bit more about what is about to happen to him in Jerusalem. He obviously had a pretty good idea based on what we just read, but Moses and Elijah are giving him a little more understanding. Uh, Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. So when we 
we talk about the Old Testament or, you know, that entire period of history, which is most of history, we talk about the law and the prophets. Moses and Elijah represented them both. And and perhaps they're t- we don't know what, what all he, they told him, but we know that Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets, and we know that his death, his resurrection, all that was just filled with him, with details of him fulfilling these things. And so, you know, they're, they're sharing some of that with him. We, we don't know exactly what, but, but pretty awesome. I mean, the father was asking Jesus to do something just incredibly difficult. And, but, but look at the blessing before he had to do this thing, the, how much the father blessed him. And how much he, he blessed Peter, John, and James that they could witness this. And apparently God didn't want them to witness all of it because in 32 it tells us, Now Peter and his companions had been overcome with sleep. So <laughs> Elijah and Moses come down and all of a sudden they fall asleep. Obviously, God wanted them asleep, right? That's you. You wouldn't just fall asleep. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to take a nap now. I mean, that would be uh, you're seeing the most incredible thing you've ever seen. It's that's not time for sleep unless the Lord just says you're asleep now. And but then they wake up and they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, "Master, it is good for well." Okay, so maybe I misread it. Uh, the the order it gave it made me think that he saw them first. Again, they just climbed a mountain. So anyways, whatever. They, they were asleep. They wake up. Then they see him. My guess is um, Jesus had been talking to them for quite some time. And um, Peter is just overcome. He says, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And he, he didn't even know what he's saying. He's just kind of babbling because he's seen Moses and Elijah and he didn't you know well, it's amazing what, what do you make of this and he just his personality had to say something while he was saying this a cloud formed and began to overshadow them they were afraid as they entered the cloud then a voice came out of the cloud saying this is my son my chosen one listen to him so this is very similar to what God said when Jesus was baptized the first two parts are the same. This is my son, it's part one. My chosen one, uh, or in whom I'm well pleased, other versions give. Um, so he's, you know, he, he's saying the same thing he said at the baptism, except this time he adds, listen to him or obey him. In other words, I'm giving him greater, he has now earned greater authority greater position to fully represent me. Some sort of spiritual promotion, some new crown or throne is given to Jesus at this point. He's just seen Moses and Elijah. They've understood everything. He's agreed to this. He has attained to the fullness of God and a man and the, the fullness of recapturing the Garden of Eden, what was promised to Adam and Eve at the beginning, he's, he's achieved the fullness in himself to represent God on the earth. However, God didn't just want one son, he wanted many. And so he was sending Jesus to be crucified so that there would be a way for us to join Jesus as the many sons of God as scripture says. And so after the voice speaks, Jesus is found alone, and they kept silent and reported to no one these day, in those days any of the things which they had seen. 
So Jesus, I'm sure, tells them, keep this to yourself, and they did. The next day they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him, and a man from the crowd shouted, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only boy. And a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams, and it throws him into a convulsion with foaming at the mouth, and only with difficulty does it leave him, mauling him as it leaves. I begged your disciples to cast it out, and they could not. So Jesus says, You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. While he was still approaching, the demon slammed him to the ground and threw him into a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. But while everyone was marveling at what he was doing, he said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears, for the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand the statement. It was concealed from them so that they would not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about his statement. So he tells them again what's going to happen, but they're, they're just not getting it. Interesting timing on this next part, 46. An argument started among them about who was greatest. And Jesus knew what they were thinking in their hearts. So he took a child and stood by him. And he said, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For the one who is least among all of you, this is the one who is great. So this is a similar type of teaching he teaches in many ways. He says, you know, you must be a child to enter into the kingdom. In other words, if you stand on all of your own understanding, your own religious training, uh, your own ideas of how things are, you're not going to be able to enter in. You're not going to be able to receive him. Uh, You're not going to be able to receive Jesus. You're not going to be able to receive the Father who sent Jesus. Uh, But if you're like a child... And just seeking the Lord and believing what the Lord leads you into, you can receive him. And if if you do follow along this way, he says you're going to be a servant. It's not going to make you great in this world. You're going to be one who gives his life serving others. So it's it's not a life of glory in this world. But you will receive me and there's nothing more glorious than that. And John says, Lord, we saw somebody casting out demons in your name. We tried to prevent him because he does not follow along with us. But Jesus says, do not hinder him, for he who is not against you is for you. So I I believe Jesus is basically saying, hey, he's not trying to stop us. So just let him do his thing. It doesn't really affect us. It's interesting that apparently the person... uh, Casting out demons was having success casting them out just by using the name of Jesus. That's pretty interesting. So Jesus knows that the time for his ascension is coming near, and so he needs to go to Jerusalem. So he sends messengers on ahead of him, and they entered a village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him. But they didn't receive him because they knew they were headed to Jerusalem. The two people groups did not like each other. And so his disciples, John and and James, saw this and said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? (laughs) This is very bold in my mind. (laughs) But he turned, you know, the Lord had done things like this before. Um, But (laughs) anyways, I don't know. It seems pretty spiteful, but he, he corrects them and rebukes them. And he says, you do not know what kind of spirit you are of for the son of man did not come to destroy men's lives but to save them and they went out to another village so these guys had been following with jesus 
for like three years. They've been learning, they've been hearing what he says, and they can probably uh, recite a lot of his teachings because they hear him over and over again. And yet, in their mind, they were thinking Jesus might want to call down fire and consume this village. So for one, that tells us maybe Jesus, we, maybe we get a little bit different picture than the people that were with him for three years had. But it also tells us that even hearing these teachings for three years did not transform their life like the Holy Spirit did after he came. Because they they later had full power and authority, but they did never send fire down from heaven to consume. Um, you know, they probably could have at that point in their lives, but they had been so transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit that they came to have the same understanding of Jesus. But at this point, at this moment, he says, another spirit is leading you. These were the disciples following Jesus, being taught by Jesus, but they were being led by another spirit at that moment. And so they're going along the road and someone says, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So he's saying, do you really know what it means to follow me? I don't even have a home. Another says, uh, he says to another person, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. And he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Proclaim what? The kingdom of God. So he he's going. He's there's about to be a third one. He's he's giving different examples of people that would say they wanted to go the way of Jesus, but what really happened? He Jesus said, "Do you really want to go this way? I don't even have a home. You sure you want to follow me?" This one says he says to someone, "Follow me," and he says, "Lord, permit me to bury my father first. He says, "Let the dead bury their own dead." As for you, proclaim everywhere the kingdom. So. He's saying, leave your old life behind and come enter my life and my way, which is totally different. The world around you is dying. All the people you see around you are dying. Let them worry about the things of the earth, of the dying. You live for my life. Die to your own life. Live for my life. Somebody else says, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. And Jesus said, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. He's saying again, you must die your own life and you're entering a new life. So there's going to be changes. You can't, you can't have one foot in each land. You can't have one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world. You got to choose which one you want. Make, a, make the choice and live your life for me. He says, you can't do both. You got to be one or the other. Now these are stark choices in reality there's a whole lot more grace for for most people but sometimes the lord does we we absolutely must turn on a dime and so you know like the the lord is different for for each person i know he let me (laughs) i was a little slow at first i didn't have anybody discipling me and i didn't even know i was going to change early on um and so there was a slow coming out of the world for me but as he was changing me um and so it's different for each one, but I think Luke has assembled these three stories together just to show that we're talking about a completely different way of life. Do you really know what you've agreed to when you say, I want to accept 
Jesus' life. I want to accept his blood over my, my sin and my past life. And I want to enter into this new way. Jesus says, it's not an easy way. It's, it's, you're making a big choice here. It's not just a simple thing of, okay, now I'm a Christian. It's like, no, I am dying to my old life and I'm entering a new way. Now, how do I go? What do I do? It's a whole new way of life. And then we're on to chapter 10. And this chapter starts out with Jesus sending out the 70. And so this is a a huge clue. I mean, it's mentioned many times, but I think a lot of people have the perception that Jesus only had 12 disciples and everyone else were just crowds. But it's it's very clear here. He sends 70 disciples out uh, to preach the kingdom. So it wasn't just 12. The 12 were closer to him than the rest of these 70. But but here he sends 70 out. And he sent them in pairs to every city and place where he was going to be going. And he says to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go, behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money belt, no bag, no shoes, and greet no one on the way. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking. What they give you for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not keep moving from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat what is set before you. And heal those in it who are sick and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, you go out into its streets and say, Even the dust of your city which clings to our feet, we will wipe off and protest against you. Yet be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I say to you, it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted. Sorry, and you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will be brought down to Hades. The one who listens to you listens to me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and he who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. So that was a long speech. Let's break it down a little bit. First, he says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Beseech the Lord to send out laborers. So they're going to be picking up people who will also pick up more people to to help bring this mighty harvest of souls into the Lord. And he says, I send you as, in lamb, as lambs in the midst of wolves. So the the world out there wants to devour, you know, the, the ruler of this world, Satan, um, hates God and his purpose, his, his, uh, his anointed ones. But here he says, you know, go out anyways, your, your lambs, you know, Jesus is the sacrificial lamb, right? But he says, basically, you'll be taken care of carrying again. So some of this is exactly what he said to the 12 when he sent them out, carry no money bag. So in other words, trust in the Lord. And then he says to, to pray and put your peace on, you know, pray for peace on that house. If there's a man of peace, the peace of your prayer will rest on him. He will, because you represent God, if he's a man who is open to God and open to his peace, then 
your coming will be a blessing to him and then he will be a blessing to you because the spirit of the Lord is is acting. So basically he's saying to trust in God. And if the spirit is, you know, moving, if somebody's open to what God is doing, then they will and you know, they will entertain you and help you. If not, they will be against you and and so be it. Let them, you know, he's saying basically they're they're judging themselves. They have chosen the way of the world and they're against you and it's going to be very bad for them when judgment comes, but that's that's for them. For you just move on to the next one. See what the Lord is doing and work in that. Don't try to work someplace where someone is not open to the work of the Lord. And this principle extends in 16. It says, the one who listens to you listens to me. The one who rejects you rejects me. And he who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. He says, because I've sent you, if they reject you, they, the, the spirit that is with me is traveling with you. So if they reject you, they're rejecting me. And, but the spirit didn't start with me. It started with God the Father. And so in the end, that is who's being rejected. And so if they're open to God, they're going to receive you because I've sent you and the Father has sent me. If they reject you, they're rejecting the Father. And so it's, you know, quite simple. And this principle is, is a powerful one. In the 70, return with great joy and say, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. So this is very interesting. So Jesus wasn't with all these different people. They were, they went off to different places. But Jesus was watching in the spirit that as they went off under the power and authority that he had given them, he was actually seeing Satan falling like lightning. And so he's, he's seen the, the spiritual reality of the Lord's kingdom growing, Satan's uh, dominion shrinking as this kingdom or news of this kingdom spreads that they the the demons were having to leave people because their authority was revoked through him he says i've given you authority to tread over serpents and scorpions so again these are just pictures of of these uh demonic uh evil angel you know authorities the power of the enemy so nothing could touch them because they were working for the Lord, and the Lord was in what they were doing, so nothing could touch them. It doesn't mean everything went easy. He said earlier it wouldn't all go easy. But it did mean when they were about the work of the Lord, nothing could stand them, because he's the Lord, and they were his. And so who could stand against us when we stand for the Lord and what he is sending us into? But he says, don't, don't, he says, you're excited because demons are, are, uh, you know, leaving on your authority, don't be excited about that. Who cares? They're such minor things. Rejoice because your name is recorded in heaven. Your place in heaven is secured. That is what's powerful and important here. That what where the Lord is placing you in spiritual authority, not the fact that a demon can leave, but what God is doing through you. And Jesus is rejoicing. He says, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. 
All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son will reveal him. So he says it's not those who, it's not the Pharisees and the scribes who know this, who know the scriptures backwards and forwards. It's who are filled up with religion. It's the ones who've given themselves completely to me. And I have revealed this to them. And they, this, these amazing things are happening through them because of what Jesus accomplished and the will of the Father. And the who can know the Father except through Jesus. And he tells his disciples, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I say to you that many prophets and kings wish to see the things which you see and did not see them, and to hear the things which you hear and did not hear them. So this is really powerful. He's saying what's happening here has been long told by prophets and kings. And yet they knew about it because the Lord made them aware these things were coming. But they couldn't experience the fullness of it. You're actually getting to experience this. And I would say even about those people, and Jesus would say the same, that the fullness that's available to us in our day is greater than even what they got to experience because the fullness of Jesus in many raised sons is going to happen in far greater measure, the scripture says, in these days than in those former days. Verse 25, a lawyer stands up and puts him to the test and says, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? He answers Jesus, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? But first, before we get on to the Good Samaritan story, there's something very powerful here. Jesus said, You know, you've answered well. This is a great answer. Now you have to do it. So it's the difference between you know, knowing a religion, knowing what's right and actually living the life. But then in order to answer his question, who's my neighbor? Jesus gives an answer and we call it the story of the Good Samaritan. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place, saw him passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on the journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion, and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and put him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day he took out two denarii, and gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. So there's a lot of ways we can teach this, but I'm going to take a different angle than I think I did in Matthew. Um, which, so, okay, yes, of course, the, the Levite uh, passed by and uh, didn't, you know, didn't stop. The priest, same, they just kind of passed by. And so the, the the priests and the Levites would represent those that most people would think are highest in the best standing with God, right? Levites are the chosen um, chosen tribe to represent 
God and to the people and the people to God, with specifically the priest being the the closest to God and with the highest duties and honors. And here he's basically saying, no, but it's the Samaritan. Everyone's, I think, familiar with that story. It's the Samaritan that had compassion and took care of him. But what the others went about their own life. The Samaritan, we see him die to himself in this. It was not convenient for him to go take care of this man. It cost him money to go and, and do all these things that he did. And he even promised more unknown amounts of money later to do it. So he's really dying to himself for this unknown stranger. And in that way... Um, He's proving himself the neighbor and proving himself worthy of this life that Jesus is talking about. Because what? how did we start? How, what question introduced this topic? The original question was, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Well, how do we enter into eternal life in this world? We have to die to our current life because we're residing in a body that's dying we're, we inherited a dying reality from the family of Adam. So if we're going to in, enter into eternal life, which is the kingdom of God on earth, this is available to us now. It, it, it is into eternity, which, you know, assuming the Lord doesn't return, I, I don't have an opinion on this, so I'm not saying he will or he won't. But whether or not we, we die in the flesh before he returns, um, we can enter into eternal life in the here and now. That's what the kingdom is all about. And so he's saying, he's answering the question with this story. How do I enter, how do I inherit eternal life? Well, die to yourself. Live according to God's way. Be the servant of God, which he will first, it's about seeking him, and then he will have us as we grow up and learn of his ways. He will have us be a servant to others. Not just because our religion tells us we need to go serve others. It, it's because we've given our lives so completely to him. Once we have been matured up into a place where we can represent him, he will use us to bless others. And so then the last story in this bit, verse 38, he's traveling or they were traveling along. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister, Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Again, as with all, all the parables of Jesus, the Lord can teach us so many things in so many ways. But the, the, you know, the clear and obvious thing, which I'll, I'll point out, is Martha was concerned about things of the world, which are important. Like we live in the world and, he, you know, he's a guest in our home. So certainly she needed to serve him certain things and, and all that's well and good. But Mary dropped everything to hear every word out of his mouth. And he says, I will not take that desire away from her or the, the fruit of that desire, the blessing of hearing the truth and the life that comes from me. She wants it. I will let her receive all that she comes after. And in, and in us and in all that we do, we should, 
and I pray we do seek him as much as we possibly can, that we receive every word from his mouth, every every drip of water from his flowing living waters, that we are filled with everything that he is, that we be about everything that he's about in our day. And that's it for today. The Lord bless you.